What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Kernan. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing tonight? What's going on, Zach? What's going on, guys? Uh, as usual, to find me on Twitter, it's at Perry underscore 49ers. It's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. And uh, I'm just ready to talk about this Niners and Seahawks game, man. I know they lost, but uh, there's a lot to take away from it. And quite frankly, I think it's really exciting. So let's get into it, man. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, you said it. there's a lot to get into. It was a rough, rough loss for the 49ers. Uh, we've had a day to kind of process our thoughts, go over everything, analyze it. Uh, to be honest with you guys, we were we were going to record last night, but um, yours truly is at fault because I fell asleep at my desk uh, and Anthony was waiting on me. So, But we'll, we'll use this to our advantage and uh, we'll, we'll get some more time under our belt and do some more research. So, Anthony... Just about roughly 24 hours later, how do you feel about the loss? I still can't really describe the emotions I'm feeling because that was probably one of the best football games I've ever watched, ever. And, you know, I've seen some really good Super Bowls. I've seen some really good playoff games, regular season games, <laughs> preseason games. But, uh, nah, man, that was something else. That was probably one of the best hard-fought Niners games I've watched in quite a long time and it's been a long time since we've really watched a just a competitive Niners game and the fact that we finally got that even if they lost I think really shows me how ready this team is to play how ready they are to go up there and face real competition and I'm not saying the Niners haven't faced stiff competition but Russell Wilson is always going to be the biggest test to the Niners for as long as he's in the league so it was a disappointing loss but I'm proud of those guys out there, and they really showed us a lot, man. They really did. Yeah, it it, it took me back almost to the 49ers Saints uh, divisional matchup a few years ago. Well, uh, more than a few years ago now, but uh, with you know Alex Smith and uh, the catch three and everything, it took me back to that. Just it was so back and forth, and there were times where you were 100 percent sure the 49ers were going to lose this game, and then you know a minute later you were 100 percent sure they're going to win this game, and just the roller coaster of emotions, man. It, it, it's it's very rarely found in a game in what week week ten. So it was like you said, you know, just something that we haven't seen out of this 49ers team, especially against Seattle in a, a long time. So although they lost, there were some um, some positives to take away. So you know, let's get right into it. Let's recap the game real quick. Like we said, unfortunately, the 49ers weren't able to, to escape uh, Levi's with the win. Seattle took them all the way to overtime, and then they ended up losing by a field goal as time expired, as I'm sure you all know. Um, it was a, a rough game. The 49ers were already going into the game without George Kittle. And then while they were, uh, I'd say, I think in the first half, uh, what's his, uh, excuse me, Emmanuel Sanders went out with a what was later diagnosed as a rib cartilage injury, and he would not return to the game. So there was just a lot of injuries that that kind of plagued this team, either that had already happened or that happened during the game. So it was just a rough, rough outing. Um, and today we had injury updates from Coach Shanahan, and he, uh, unfortunately, uh, Ronald Blair tore his ACL. He's going on IR. Matt Breida aggravated his ankle. He's day-to-day. DJ Jones uh, is going to miss a week with a groin injury. Joe Staley fractured his finger. 
which could uh, possibly require surgery. However, he's getting a second opinion. And like I said earlier, Emmanuel Sanders has a rib cartilage injury, which is day to day. Uh, that's per Keanu Martin of the 49ers. So it was just a lot that happened for the team. And they left this game bloody and bruised. Um, do you think, Anthony, for some reason, the injury report kind of speaks to what type of game it was? With all those injuries, I really think so. I just can't believe that the Niners battled through those injuries and still made it one hell of a competitive game. I mean, you know, Joe Staley dislocates his finger. I don't know if he missed any time. It might have been afterwards. But uh, in any event, obviously, Joe Staley gets hurt. Ronald Blair tears his ACL. Emmanuel Sanders gets a rib injury. K1 had a hand injury. He later came back in the game. Uh, just even Matt Breida, ankle injury. Tevin Coleman looked like he had leg injury. And these guys are just getting knocked out left and right. And I still couldn't believe they hung in there and babbled and fought against Seattle. And now Seattle had a knock of injuries here and there, but I don't think anyone necessarily got taken out other than Tyler Lockett. But that was an overtime, I believe. So, you know, this is Seattle damn near at full strength minus the missing offensive linemen. And the fact that our team went toe-to-toe with what the defense looked like in the second half damn near looked like a bunch of backups. Uh, They played well. They played really well. I think this is a different game if the Niners' team is healthy as a whole. But overall, the fact that they competed and they hung in there even with the injuries, even with all this adversity – Again, it's a real testament to how prepared and how ready this team is. So I think going forward, you know, injuries will always play a role with this team like they've had the past few seasons. But this season just feels a lot different than the past. And I think these guys are both physically and mentally prepared to, you know, just play in case they lose anyone. And obviously the offense went down when Emmanuel Sanders left, and it was really significant. But even if it wasn't that good, at least you felt like the offense had a chance to do something. And it was brutal to watch, don't get me wrong, but there weren't times when I necessarily felt like I lost hope in the offense. It was just, again, it was just a huge roller coaster. So going forward, I think the team is ready to take on anything, but the outcome of this game definitely could have been different without all these damn injuries, man. Yeah, and I only went over the ones that showed up on the injury report today. Um, I think I forgot uh, Aziz Al-Shair. He's also in concussion protocol. He left the game. And then um, Solomon Thomas also went down with an injury. He returned. Weston Richburg uh, went down with an injury. I think he returned. Jimmy Ward returned with an injury. So the, the guys are just getting beat up left and right. And it was a very, very physical game. It was a you know mainly defensive heavy game. So the 49ers were just battling all night. And... You know, with all that being said, they were still in prime position to win the game when all was said and done. Um, and we'll get into, you know, the outcome and, you know, ifs and buts and all that later. But I think it just speaks to how good of a team they are and how good they are coached. Could they have done better? Yes, of course. They could have, they could have exited the game nine and zero. However, all, all the adversity they faced, all they persevered through, it speaks to who they are as a team and they'll use this loss to learn and to grow from. And uh, I tweeted earlier this morning, you know, they should be embarrassed. They they should be embarrassed for the product that they put out on the field, even though all they went through, they deserved, they should have known what they needed to do and get it done to win the game. 
They were embarrassed on Monday Night Football on national television. They need to use this, learn from it, grow from it, and never allow it to happen again. Now, with that, all that being said, um, what stood out to you during the matchup? Something that was good. God, something that was good. I, I guess if we have to get really picky, you know, because the offense overall did not play that well. Uh, Debo Samuel, man, he stepped in and he balled his ass off. And I know everyone on the night had drops. Even he had a couple drops. But when he did catch a ball, he made plays. And losing someone like Emmanuel Sanders, you know, you instantly felt like, all right, this is Debo's time to shine. He needs to step up. And I think he did step up. And the Niners drafted him to be a playmaker. And he is a yak monster, yards after catch. I believe he's third in the league in yak. And that just goes to show how effective he is with the ball in his hands. And this is what the offense has been lacking is a playmaker, someone who can make, you know, just move the ball. <laughs> I guess I guess move the offense, if you will. Because like I said, the past few seasons, the wide receivers have not been good. The offense has been pretty stale. You know, we've just been lacking playmakers all across the board. And now that we have George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Debo Samuel is the next guy up. And like I said, he balled out. As for the defense, though, I don't even know where to begin, man. The defense just... I, I wish we had an offense as effective as the defense, you know? And, I mean, the offense can get going when it really gets going. But when you see a performance against Seattle, like, last night, which is, quite frankly, just a stinker, you know, it makes you go, can the offense really do this? But with that being said, though, the defense lit Russell Wilson up. What, five sacks? A few turnovers? A defensive touchdown? Pass breakups, tackles, tackles for loss, you name it. It all happened. And quite frankly, Robert Sala has this uh, defense on the right page. You have them all in chemistry. And I mentioned earlier, you know, all the injuries. And even when guys go down, the backups are stepping up. They're making plays. They're making some noise. And you look at Ronald Blair, who tore his ACL, who arguably, arguably made one of the biggest tackles in his career, you know, stopping Russell Wilson like that. And, uh, you know, I think it was Russell Wilson who was running back. Either way, uh, Ronald Blair made a huge play. And you have guys coming in, very little playing time, or just in a rotation the whole time, stepping in, making plays, making it happen. So overall, the defense just, the defense really blew me away. Considering how bad the offense was as a whole, the defense was going in there, doing everything they could. And I know Seattle scored 21 points off of turnovers, but you got to look at the other side of it. The offense, when Jimmy G fumbled, and then Jimmy G threw a, you know, a pick that wasn't his fault. Seattle's defense uh, gave him really good field position for the offense to work with. And, I mean, you can only ask for the defense to do so much. But, obviously, you take away those turnovers and, you know, you take 21 points off of Seattle's board and this this game could be, like, 24-7 to or 24-10. to You know, we're looking at a totally different game. But with that being said, though, the defense worked through a lot of adversity. They fought their asses off to keep the team in the game the whole time. And man, Zach, I don't know about you, but when Dre Greenlaw got that interception in overtime, oh, I was screaming. I lost my voice. I could not believe he got that interception right when I thought I was losing hope. You know, Dre Greenlaw gives the team life. And you see something like that out of a rookie who is being thrust into a huge starting role, you know, being asked to do way more than he was previously. 
if he makes plays like that, and I mean, the whole night he was just flying around, making tackles, making things happen, and you see him do stuff like that, and it makes you believe that not only is this guy a really solid backup, but he is a linebacker of the future. He is a core player, and obviously, you know, I'm jumping the gun with how he performed, but there's a lot to take away from just off of one performance alone, and if if the way he played last night is any indication of what is yet to come, then the Niners could very well be looking at one of the best linebacking units in all of football again. So a lot to take away, but overall the defense just, man, they're so much fun to watch. You don't want to see the defense on the field for too long because that usually means offense is doing well. But you see the Niners' defense on the field, and it's like, God, I want to see these guys make plays because it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, speaking about that Greenlaw interception, man, I I jumped up off my couch. I was screaming. I, I, I scared my dogs. I was just so ecstatic. I couldn't believe that he did that because Russell Wilson doesn't turn the ball over. I think he's got the least amount of turnovers in the league as a quarterback. So it was just hell of a play, especially by a rookie. You know, I I think he was making his first start or, you know, damn near it. But it was just a hell of a play by him. And he played a pretty solid game as well. Um, I was not expecting that out of him. I had hoped for the best and was expecting the worst or prepared for the worst, I should say. But he he, he definitely impressed me. And I know he impressed a lot of people. Um as far as what stood out to me as a positive, the defense as a whole, um, they they did a good job. I know people are going to say, like you said earlier, you know, they gave up 24 points or 27 points all in all. But like you said, 21 of those was off turnovers. Most of those, they were very, very short fields that they were going up against previously earlier in the season. They were able to come up big, hold teams to a field goal. However, that was not the case last night. Um, it was just way too much to ask of them. Russell Wilson simply too good in order to consistently hold him to a field goal when he's got 20, 10, you know, yards to go through. Um, that, that fumble by Tartman when, when DK Metcalf was running it down and it looked like he was going to get, you know, damn near the goal line and Tart, you know, made a hell of a play on the ball. Just, just the definition of fighting till the whistle is blown, you know, especially because he he was out of bounds and Metcalf was essentially taking him along for the ride. You know, he had picked him up and he was going through the air with him. Tart luckily was able to reestablish himself in bounds before he was making a play on the ball. So it was fully legal and it was just a hell of a play. Um, I got to go with those sticking on the defense. Fred Warner. Fred Warner had the game of his life last night. Uh, he had, you know, 10 total tackles, two sacks, three passes, uh, tackles for loss, excuse me. And a pass defend and then another two quarterback hits on top of that. So Fred Warner, you know, just picked the best game possible to have a hell of a game, uh, especially missing, excuse me, especially missing Quan Alexander. It was just, you know, you couldn't have asked more for Fred Warner. It was, it was a great sight to see. And, you know, like you said, hopefully it's a, it's a promising, uh, direction of where things are going. And hopefully, you know, he can take Greenlaw under his wing. I know Warner doesn't, isn't that experienced himself, but if he could show Greenlaw at least everything he knows and try and help the kid go along faster, whatever he can do to kind of accelerate his, his learning curve, that would just be fantastic for this 49ers team that, you know, early on lost a good, good defensive presence in Quan Alexander. So now that we've gone through what's good, 
what did you see that stuck out that was bad? And I know there's probably a good amount to choose from. So, you know, just what what stood out to you the most, I will say, that was bad? Uh, I think if I had to pick between these two things, it's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's, I guess, ineffectiveness and the offensive line play. You know what? No, I'm going to take that back. Forget what I said about Garoppolo. Offensive line play and wide receiver drops. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to go over both. So let's start with the offensive line. Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey lit- literally look like rookies. I mean, like, undrafted rookies not knowing what to do out there. And it was so hard to watch Joe Staley just get cooked by Jadavion Clowney. And, I mean, you know, you expect guys to drop off at his age, and you expect guys to really pick it up a lot slower coming off of a big injury like he did. But I did not expect the performance that Joe Staley put out there, Zach. Um, he was giving up pressures left and right. He was allowing sacks left and right. And it was so hard to watch. And same goes for McGlinchey, too. Clowney, uh, you know, whoever else, Zeki Ansa, I guess, whoever else was lined up over him. I mean, McGlinchey and Staley both just stood no chance, man. And the rest applies for the offensive line, too. Arguably the only good offensive line piece on the day was Weston Rickberg. And, of course, he got knocked out with injury. I think he later came back in. But the fact that the offensive line performed so poorly, and arguably the offensive line has not been good the past two weeks. It did not look that good in Arizona, and it hasn't looked good in Seattle. Or it did not look good in Seattle, excuse me. So I just, watching that type of performance really concerns me. And I know it's a short stretch to take away with only two games in with how bad they've performed, but it's still really, you still have to go out there and question, why is the offensive line so poor? And I mean, where was the run game? The run game was just so bad all night long. And I give credit to Seattle's play calling, Seattle's defensive alignments overall. Um, They were stacking that box, man. They were making sure Breida, Coleman, and even Mostert couldn't really run the ball that well. And Aside from stacking the box, though, the offensive line just wasn't getting that push in the run game. There was no aggressiveness. You didn't feel like Lakin Tomlinson or Mike Person or the tackles or Rickberg. I guess Rickberg is okay. But as a whole, you didn't feel like the offensive line was really, really busting their butts and really bullying the defensive line of Seattle. And it showed throughout the night. I mean, the longest run on the day, I think, was a 22-yard carry by Coleman. I mean, I think that might be stretching it, but otherwise, you know, the run game was silent, pass protection was awful for Garoppolo, and I know Garoppolo did not perform that well. I think he only had 26 completions. Oh, here it is, 24 completions on 46 attempts. I think that completion percentage for Garoppolo was a career low with that many attempts, and like I said, the offensive line didn't help, but Garoppolo also didn't help himself. But I'm not going to pin on Garoppolo, man. He uh, he tried to do his best with everything that was around him. I mean, he didn't have his top two playmakers. His offensive line wasn't helping him. His wide receivers were dropping the ball, and I'm going to get into that in a second. So Garoppolo's supporting cast around him just was awful. And the fact that the Niners hung in there and made it a game, even with how bad everything was around Garoppolo, like I said earlier, it's just a testament to how Honestly, how good I think Garoppolo is because he doesn't sit there. He doesn't give up. He keeps pushing and he keeps trying and he keeps trying to make things happen. But quite frankly, the guys around him outside the depot couldn't really make it happen. But with that being said, though, I want to get into the wide receiver drops now. 
nine drops on the night is what I've seen. Nine drops. Debo had a couple. Pettis had a couple. Goodwin had a couple. Bourne had a few huge drops, and I mean huge. And just overall, I thought the wide receivers just had drop fever, man. I don't know. I don't know if they were sick. I don't know if they were nervous. You know, guys tend to tighten up in the in the spotlight, and it's just I I couldn't believe they performed so poorly. And Debo had a good game, but it could have been even better if he didn't have a key drop or two. Bourne could have had a nice game, but he had a few drops. Even Pettis on his targets, he could have had a couple catches, but he had a couple drops also. It was just the entire unit that was dropping the ball, and I don't know what it was. Like I said, I don't know if it was the spotlight. I don't know if these guys were nervous. I don't know if they're just not watching the ball into their hands and they're just they're thinking too much about yards after the catch or, or what. So offensive line play and drops, man, those are the two killer 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 things that just I really believe cause the Niners to lose and you take those drops away you take the offensive line play away and I think Garoppolo has a way better day than he did last night it's just I you know the whole season we've seen everything gel and smooth out so nicely in the past couple weeks you know even if Garoppolo looked great against Arizona the past couple weeks you've just felt like that that fluidity and that chemistry hasn't been there and it it could hurt the team in the long run. Long run. Now I believe that the coaching staff can adjust, but it's two weeks now that there's been some slight that's been going on with the offense, and I do think it's somewhat concerning. Yeah, the offensive line play was just simply unacceptable. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, we're not used to seeing that bad of a, a an outing from guys like Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, especially in you know pass protection and. Joe Staley, they, you know, we were hearing all week about how they're coming back, they're coming back, they're getting reinforcements, this this unit's getting healthier, and they came back just to get worked all night, you know, it was just completely mind-blowing. Um, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head with offensive line play and the wide receiver drops. The wide receivers were not doing Jimmy any favors at all, all night, um, but you, you already went into that. So for me, my kind of thing that stuck out the most to me as a negative, if I'm not going with those two, I got to go with Dante Pettis and his performance. Um, look, I know the guy's still young. I know he's still coming into his own player. You know, there's a lot that comes into, into play here. However, he did not have a good night. Um, he, he was, oh, he had zero receptions on three targets. Uh, I can think of a couple drops. I know there was one that he, he wasn't able to come down with on the sideline. He had initially made the good catch and then he wasn't able to come down with it. So it was broken up and he, you know, he obviously wasn't in Kyle Shanahan's, you know, good, good standing because they asked him about him today. And, you know, coach said, quote unquote, he had his opportunities. The more he doesn't take advantage of his opportunities, the less opportunities he gets. He did a couple last night or he, excuse me, he did get a couple last night because of injury and I didn't think he made them meaning made it, made the most of his opportunities. So it's just, we saw him earlier in the season in uh, Coach's doghouse. It looks like he's right back in there. And I'm not quite sure what exactly Dante needs in order to be successful in this offense. Um, I don't know if, if the, they need him to be, if he needs to be force-fed the ball, um, but he, he needs to be able to show us what he showed us, kind of the back end of his rookie year when he was really, really getting things going. So that, that, that stuck out to me the most. I think at least like moving forward, the rest can kind of be explained. You can understand, 
you know, Joe Staley's coming back or the wide receivers just historically, they're not that experienced. But Dante, he has shown us previously that he can do it. So now I'm just wondering why he, he can't now. What has changed now to make him so ineffective and unproductive on the field, even when he gets a couple targets or he gets, you know, a good amount of snaps? He's still not really doing much with it. Um, moving on, who would you say was the MVP and why? You know, in between K1 Williams' performance and Fred Warner's performance, I think uh, I think I have to go with K1, man. I know the box score stats don't jump out as much as uh, Fred Warner's, but you know, for undersized slot corner, K1 balled out. I think I saw a stat that said he had three forced fumbles on the night. I don't know if that's true, but I know he forced a couple fumbles. That's a fact. He had a couple pass breakups. He had half a sack. He had a few tackles for loss. He had a solo tackle, you know, this and that. And just K1 balled out for these guys. And K1 is really starting to be one of the most underrated and arguably the best slot corner in all of football. So to go out there and put up a performance the way he did really shows me how much he's grown. I mean, this guy was, what, a seventh-round pick, an undrafted pick who got claimed off the Browns' practice squad a few years ago or just was just a real, uh, signing off the, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, K1 had one hell of a day, bottom line, and I couldn't believe that he put out the kind of performance the way he did. You know, Robert Sala and Joe Woods seem to have this really good method of using him off the edge when it, when they use a slot corner blitz. And he goes unguarded almost every time. And when he does, I feel like he's making the most of his opportunity. Whether it is sacking the quarterback or whether it's just really pressuring the quarterback or even forcing a fumble. You know, K1 Williams is going out there and he's being more than a corner. He's being like a really fast, small linebacker. He's really, you know, like a really undersized defensive end. And I know it's crazy for me to say that, but like, that's just what I'm seeing from him. That's just how he's playing. And the fact that he's doing all these things... And, and quite frankly, in my opinion, I think it's being overlooked is is huge. And losing someone like Kwan Williams, I think, would be a bigger loss than most people think. So, you know, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But for the time being, Kwan Williams is just balling out, man. And for that, I think he gets my MVP of the game. Yeah, Williams had a hell of a night. Um, he went out briefly and he came back. And just his presence, you know, he was making it felt all over the field all night. And it's nice to see him playing really well because it's exactly what this team needs right now. Uh, my MVP for the 49ers, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to say because I really want to say Fred Warner. The guy played really well. You know, yeah, I, I am going to go Fred Warner. I was debating Fred and Debo. However, I think Fred had had his hands... Uh, his fingerprints more so all over the game, and he had a bigger impact on the game. Um, like I, I said his stats earlier, you know, 10 total tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, a pass defected, or excuse me, defended, and two quarterback hits. Um, you couldn't have asked for a better game from him, and he's just showing that he's really coming into his own as a player, and it's, it's just the perfect timing, like I said earlier, with Quan out. And it, it, it was just a, a beautiful sight seeing him flying around the field. Some of the, some of the tackles he made were just amazing. And, um, I, I gotta go, I gotta go my co-MVP though, just real quick. Emmanuel Mosley. The guy, 
pretty much kept DK Metcalf in check all night after Metcalf put up like 140 or something like that. I know he topped 100 last week. And, and, and you know, Mosley's a smaller guy, and he was going up against Metcalf most of the night. And he, he, he played a hell of a game as well. He also had 10 total tackles, three passes defended. So shout out to Emmanuel Mosley. The guy, he, he's just doing really good. So that was nice to see. Um, now we have a question here and it, it, it's been asked a, a few times. I, I've seen it a lot on Twitter. We've had a few people reach out to us. Um, do you think, and, and it, let's, let's just go ahead and, and move this up from our RGS mailbag at the end that we normally do. This is from our, our faithful listener, Natalie Ray. She had asked, do you think that Staley and McGlinchey and or McGlinchey should have waited another week at least to return? I think, you know, this is, I was kind of thinking about this after the game, and I think it's one of those things that where in hindsight you can say yes, but if I'm thinking, not even in the spur of the moment, if I'm thinking that both these guys are ready to play, and I mean, these are two of my cornerstone tackles, then I got to go out there and I got to get them playing time. I mean, you know, you can give them so much time off and you can give them so much time to practice, but imagine they go out there next week against Arizona and they perform the way they did against Seattle. Then you can say like, oh, maybe these guys are still hurt. Maybe, you know, they're just really rusty or so be it. So I think I do kind of think they might have been rushed back. I know coming into the game, I think Staley and McGlinchey were both technically listed as questionable. And coming into this game, I thought, well, you know, it's good to have them back, but we'll see. They both have missed an extended amount of playing time. And I know Seattle's pass rush had not been that good, you know, throughout the season, but Jadavion Clowney is still Jadavion Clowney. Ziggy Ansah is still Ziggy Ansah. So these guys go out there and they just ball out and they just owned both of those guys. So I do think they got rushed back. I do think they should have waited a week. And it, it really just, I guess this shows how confident Kyle Shanahan was in the two guys, and you can't knock him for that. I mean, if he thought his guys were ready to go, they were ready to go. But at some point in that game, when Staley was just getting owned all night long, man, I just thought, why not just get school back in there and give him the chance, or both guys, why not get school and Brunsko back in there and just, you know, take the just take the starting two guys out and just give him a breather, let him rest. Maybe they're not ready. And I know it's not easy to just take out two tackles and put in two backup tackles, but quite frankly, the past five, six weeks, both tackles have been playing their asses off. So I think that I'm not going to say it was a bad decision, but in hindsight, I do think that Shanahan should have given the backup tackles a chance, especially with how poor both guys performed overall. Yeah, I mean, they they were questionable heading into the game. It's hard to know if they rushed themselves back um, from injury or if they truly were ready to go. And that's just how they kind of came up on the injury report. I'm not sure. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard because this the, the Brunt School and School were definitely playing well coming into this game. The offensive line was, was clicking as a whole. They were, they were gelling well. And they weren't uh, allowing too many pressures, at least off the top of my head. I can't think of any, but um, who's to say that they would have done any better, I guess, is my question. Um, there's there's no guarantee that. Um, you could also look at it at 
as look at how bad Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey did. Imagine how bad Brent and school would have done. So it, it goes both ways. I mean, there's, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Um, you can only hope that they're fully healthy. Although we know Joe Staley, um, had the dislocated finger. So we know he's obviously going to be missing some time, at least the game, depending on if he has surgery, could be longer. But so it's, 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 it's really hard to say. It's hard to speculate. Um, I think they probably should have at least, at least Staley didn't, he didn't look like his full self. I saw Mike McGlinchey get beat pretty badly on a couple of plays. So it, it, let's just hope it's just rust and they can just shake it off and, and continue to get better. Joe Staley as he gets healthier from, you know, his finger as well. So let's hope it's not another performance that they have in them. That's going to be that, that poor. Um, next question Anthony, do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo's performance was concerning? And do you think he's the weak link of this 49ers team? I don't think his performance is necessarily concerning, or I think that he's the weak link. He's definitely definitely not the weak link. But I do think his performance was eyebrow-raising. I don't think it is the sign of who Garoppolo is as a quarterback, because, you know, just looking at the factors that went into the game, he didn't have both of his playmakers, George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders. Every guy he was throwing the ball to was either screwing up a route or dropping the ball straight up. So I don't blame Garoppolo for not having confidence in disguise. And then the offensive line gave him no time to throw. I mean, the pass protection was god-awful. I mean, we went out there and looked like the Cincinnati Bengals. That's how bad the offensive line play was. So his performance wasn't concerning, although I do think, you know, even with the drops, I think he could have done better than a 50% completion rate. You know, we come into the season expecting the entire world from Garoppolo, and I don't think he's a world beater, but he goes out there and he can be a top 15 quarterback, top 12 quarterback even. And like last week against Arizona, the guy carried the team to a victory, and he had every chance to do it in this game. And I know I was knocking the rest of the guys around him, but at the end of the day, it still falls on Jimmy Garoppolo to get the job done. And even with the factors going on around him, he he really didn't get the job done. You know, and it's frustrating to say because everything around him was so bad, but good quarterbacks should be able to work around anything going around them that's, you know, bad or terrible or not going his way. And I'm not saying Garoppolo can't do that, but for that night in particular, he wasn't able to do that and he wasn't able to adjust. And, you know, it's a team effort when you lose a game. And I'm not going to blame it on any one individual because I think the offense lost the game as a whole. But Garoppolo was set up to do something and make some special plays, and he really couldn't get it going. So I don't think he's a weak link. I don't think his performance was concerning. But I will say it was a lot worse than what I expected, to be honest. Yeah, and, you know, especially when you put it all into context like you just did, um, I don't think it's concerning. If anything's concerning, it's the wide receiver's uh, constant drops. And um, you could chalk up Jimmy's play, especially towards the end of the game, in just him truly not trusting his wide receivers. And, um, even you know, there were a couple times he threw it, you know, right into Kendrick Bourne's hands 
and that was intercepted. He, he threw another time. I can't remember exactly who he threw it to. Um, you know, hit him right in between the numbers, bounced off, almost intercepted. So it, it's just, he can only do so much. I even tweeted out during the game, do you want him to run the ball 30 yards down the field and physically hand it off to a wide receiver? Um, it's on them to catch it. He's been throwing good balls. Although I will say, I think it was either in the end of the fourth quarter or the, uh, one of the drives in overtime. He damn near threw two interceptions back to back. That would have been a hundred percent on him. And you could tell he was, he was nervous in the pocket. He was feeling pressure, uh, before it got there. And he was just kind of trying to force the ball into places where it wasn't able to go. I don't think it's concerning, at least his play specifically. Um, even without George Kittle, I think if you have an Emmanuel Sanders, I think it's an entirely different story that we're, we're talking about today. I think they win the game. I think people are talking about how Jimmy was able to overcome all this adversity. Uh, the fact that they, he simply cannot continue to overcome piece after piece after piece of this offense missing. Um, so, and I, I, like you said, I don't think he's the weak link. I really don't. I think the wide receiver position is, um, as we saw last night after Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle, who's a tight end, but let's count him as a receiver. There's a steep drop, a very, very steep drop in, uh, quality and Debo kind of starting to separate himself. He's maybe closer to the Emmanuel Sanders and Kittle group than he is to the rest of the group. However, with that being said, it's still not, not a great group of guys that are at least proven. And I have a lot of faith in them. I have a lot of faith in Kyle. However, at the end of the day, it comes down to them actually going out on the field and making the plays. And until they can prove that they're able to do that, it's going to be, they're going to be the weak link. And I'm, I'm fully comfortable saying that. Quick question also on this. We don't have to go too far into this, but um, I, I, I tweeted this out earlier too, and I, I heard, uh, I've heard Colin Coward say it a few times. Jimmy Garoppolo has the same amount of starts as Sam Darnold and three less than Baker Mayfield. Why is it that he's constantly held up against the light and compared to, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, guys, guys of this, you know, elite caliber that are likely first ballot Hall of Famers? I, I heard on ESPN this morning, Tom Brady. Tom Brady wouldn't miss those throws. Tom Brady would go down there and win win the game. You know, Drew Brees would go down there and win the game. Why is he immediately compared to two of the best to play the game ever? Why is he not given this sort of leeway from the media? I think it's just because of how long he's been in the league. I mean, this is the dude's what fifth, sixth season. And he sat behind Tom Brady for so long. He even got a few starts in New England. And I think there's just this stigma regarding Garoppolo that because he sat behind a Hall of Famer, because he sat behind a legend, because he's been on a Super Bowl winning team, that he should be able to translate that into this situation and be able to be successful. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. I mean... It takes it takes time for guys to adapt to new systems. It takes time for guys to really fully grasp an offense or fully grasp just the way things are ran. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was breathing New England lifestyle, New England way his whole career until he came to San Francisco. And, I mean, you have to admit, too, the dude hasn't exactly had a lot of playing time under Grop, or excuse me, under Kyle Shanahan's system. I mean, when he first came to San Francisco – he was, you know, his first five starts, obviously all five wins, uh, just vanilla Kyle Shanahan. And that didn't even 
go fully into what Shanahan's offense is. And so you come into the next season, this is what, 2018, I think, 2018, 2019, and he tears his ACL. And I know he had a full offseason to work with Shanahan. He had a few offseason games, a few regular season games to work with, uh, to work with Shanahan. But even then, the guy didn't have the full legit playing time under Shanahan to fully get the system. So now he misses another season, basically, and now he's still working his way back to what Shanahan sees him as. And now that he finally has, you know, pretty much a full season under his belt, now is the time where he should start being able to adapt and being able to understand what Shanahan's system is. You hear a lot of guys talk about how complicated it is, but you also hear people talk about how easy it is for quarterbacks to you know, hit open a wide receiver that was schemed open or be able to make plays that Kyle Shanahan simply drew up. So Garoppolo should be able to adjust to this. I don't think he should be held to a standard that is of Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, because quite frankly, he hasn't really had the chance to prove he can be those guys. And I mean, these are all guys who have played 200, 300, 400 games and Garoppolo has played in what, like, Oh, like overall, he's played in what, 30 games, I think? Maybe even less than that? So, to go out there and say that Garoppolo isn't the guy, to go out there and hold him to this kind of standard, which is quite frankly unrealistic, is, it's a shame on those people who are making those kind of statements. So, I wouldn't even bother, you know, holding into that regard. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is his own quarterback. You know, Eric Crocker, a good friend of ours, and quite a few other people have really compared Jimmy Garoppolo to Tony Romo and you see it more and more but I do think Garoppolo can be better than Romo once he understands Shanahan's system so all this hate all these you know comparisons to Garoppolo to other people I honestly think they need to stop once Garoppolo fully has a season to understand the playbook I think he'll be good to go and even with the weapons around him I think he can make anything possible yeah, I think the main reason why they, they're they constantly trying to compare him to guys that are already top 10 in the league, um, it, it's simply due to his contract. It's simply due to his contract. There's no other reason for it. Um, you don't see guys like, you know, Baker or Darnold, like I mentioned earlier, um, that are constantly being compared to, you know, the best quarterbacks in the league. And if they're not, you know, tit for tat on par with these guys, then they're not playing, you know, their concern or, you know, they're, they're, they're not the, not the answer at quarterback. So it's just, it, it's, it's frustrating to see, but at the same time, these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about, to put it frankly. Um, I'm going to leave that there. Now, next question. Um, and this is coming from, I, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. We had a conversation earlier. Forgive me if I'm not. I believe it's, uh, Leighton Pahukula. And uh, his handle's L Pahukula on Twitter. And his question was, do you think that Coach Shanahan should have played for the tie instead of the win? No. No. You go out there and you play football games to win. I mean, you you watch coaches like John Harbaugh and even Pete Carroll, who, you know, has had questionable decisions at times, but more or less he's pretty aggressive. But let me stick to John Harbaugh. This guy goes out there and he says, you know, screw the analytics 
or okay, maybe I'll reason with the analytics, but more often than not, I won't roll with him. And this guy will go for it on fourth and three. He'll go for it on fourth and four. And Kyle Shanahan going for it on fourth and one, you know, I think it was fourth and one. I I think you roll with what he did. And in hindsight, obviously, it looks like a bad play. I think Debo Samuel ran the wrong route. But in any event, I applaud Kyle Shanahan's aggressiveness to go out there and try to make something happen. I think that even given the situation with how bad the offense was moving the ball and, you know, eventually the defense was going to let up and it happened on the last drive. But, uh, no, you, you play to win the game. And if you lose, you lose, you, you know, you play, you play for a tie or you play to keep it close, then you might as well be tanking for a top 10 draft pick because winning coaches and winning teams need to play to win the game. You don't play for close games. You don't play for ties. You play to win the damn game. And again, if you don't win, you don't win. It happens. Luckily for us, the Niners are 8-1 now, still with a very good shot of making the playoffs, getting a first-round bye, and everything ahead of them is possible for them to make this happen. But they can't go up there against Arizona. They can't go up there against Atlanta eventually, or Green Bay, Seattle, Baltimore, you name it, and go and be conservative and just try to keep the game close. Not you got to go out there and just smash every team in the face and make a name for yourself. And I think Kyle Shanahan and these guys are trying to do that. So to play for a tie, no, you got to put everything on the line and make sure your team gets the best chance possible to win every game possible. Now I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, um, I don't think he should have been playing for a tie, but I think he should have been playing to win but at very worst case, not to lose. Um, that last drive that the 49ers had the ball, I think they took up a total of like 25 seconds and they went three and out right away. Uh, you know, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, and then uh, a bomb downfield to Debo that was, you know, nearly picked off, but then broke it up. And then they had to punt the ball with the clock stopped. Um, I would have liked to see at least one or two runs in there with the, the clock continuing to run, making Seattle burn a timeout, um, just because I would have liked to, I would have thought at least, and I'm not a head coach, mind you, nowhere near damn a head coach, and um, but it, my mindset, it would be hard to, to think anything other than I'm going to win this game, but at very worst case, I'm not going to let Seattle win this game. So it, it's, it's sort of like me or nobody. That's how I, I can see where he's coming from asking this question, However, you got you got to play to win it. Although it would have been nice to not have lost it. You can't have best of both worlds. You can't you know uh, play conservatively and yet still hope to win it. And you can't go out aggressively and still not expect to to lose it. So it's hard. It's hard. Um, I understand both questions. Um, wrapping it up here. Any final thoughts on the game you want to get out there? I gotta give a really loving shout out to Chase McLaughlin. I couldn't believe he shanked that kick so bad, dude. He missed that kick so bad, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, that ball literally went in the tunnel. But, uh, you know, you see a lot of people clown the kicking position saying, oh, it should be easy. It's just a kick. You just go out there and kick field goals. But, uh, you know, when you're pretty much an undrafted rookie getting a spot start in the biggest game of his career – and he goes out there, and he kicked his ass off. He really did, you know. Other than the one missed field goal, he kicked very well. He made all of his PATs. He made all of his field goals. 
excuse me, and it's just, shout out to him, man, I know it looks really bad on his part, because he missed it so bad, but with what was going on, and the situation, and the circumstances, McLaughlin kicked very well, and if Gold is, you know, out for an extended amount of time, and even if he misses next week, I really hope Shanahan and the guys keep McLaughlin, because even if it's just a short sample size, I think uh, I think he kicked pretty damn well, and I believe in the guy, I really do. So, you know, shout out to McLaughlin, man. It was a tough miss. You know, it was a lot on the line, but overall, the guy kicked his ass off, and for that, I'm proud of him for it. And it, it really bugged me hearing uh, uh, Joe Testor and Booger say, oh, you know, the moment just, it's too big for him. It simply was too big for him, and he proved that he couldn't come through. The guy just made the same exact kick, essentially, what, five, ten minutes before that to send it into overtime. The moment wasn't too big for him. He's, you know, a young guy with a very, very select, you know, limited amount of playing time in the NFL. But he was able to step up to the plate, and he was able to get the job done the first time. The second time, I understand why Coach Shanahan felt comfortable uh, not going for it on what would have been roughly fourth and one, fourth and inches. Uh, and, and felt comfortable kicking it from right there. Granted, he had just made essentially the same kick. Um, there's just, unfortunately, nothing that could have been done. I don't know. I'm not a kicker. I don't know exactly how a shank happens that badly. But it, it shout, I agree with you. Shout out Chase McLaughlin. I am so, I was so happy for him that he made that first kick. And I felt so bad for him that he missed the second one. Um, and, and guys, don't, don't give the guy shit on Twitter or wherever he is. Don't, don't, don't do that. The guy's a player. He's a person. He tried his best and just, just accept that. All right. And also on the, on a similar note, who's to say Robbie Gold would have made it? Robbie Gold has missed a f- unbelievable amount of kicks this year from a much shorter distance, I, I believe. So there's no guarantee that if Gold was in there, he would have made it. All right, guys, now wrapping it up, we, uh, Anthony and I, we had been talking about this new kind of segment we wanted to get to real quick called, uh, standard shoutouts. And it's just, you know, interesting, uh, things that we find on social media, cool things. And I just had a couple to get to you guys, um, from Nick Wagner from ESPN. Uh, he tweeted out that the 49ers Seahawks matchup on Monday night drew the biggest audience of the season for a game on Monday night football with a grand total of 16.1 million viewers. Uh, that's pretty cool. Also, the 49ers Rams game at Levi's Stadium in week 16, 16, excuse me, has been, uh, selected for the Saturday night slot. So it is scheduled for Saturday, December 21st at 5.15 p.m. Pacific time on NFL Network. So the 49ers will have a Saturday game coming up, uh, the second to last week of the season. Um, also the 49ers, uh, Packers game in week 12 was flexed into Sunday night football, which is kind of cool. It's a double whammy because we get primetime and they took that game away from the Seahawks. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and lastly, Emmanuel Sanders right now, if you guys were at the game, tweet Emmanuel Sanders, uh, picture or video of you guys being there. He's, he's, uh, following some fans that were there if they just tweet some proof. So that's pretty cool. Um, this is our standard shout outs. Again, if you guys want to be included in this, you can tweet us at us, hashtag standard shoutouts, uh, whatever, however you guys want to get them to us. If we find it cool or interesting, we'll include it in the podcast. Um, again, I really want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you hear, if you're a fan of what we have going on here, please, please, please leave us a review on whatever you listen to your podcasts on. 
Um, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far. Um, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Zach Hardan. Make sure you follow our podcast account at RGS pod on Twitter. Make sure you follow 49ers hive, uh, where we kind of put all this together at, uh, Anthony, let the folks know where they can find you at one more time. All right, guys, just like how we start the show, just like how we end the show, Perry underscore 49ers. It's Perry underscore 49ers, P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ERS. Great show today, Zach. Uh, you know, it was a lot to break down. I hate the fact that the Niners lost, but you take, you put into consideration everything that happened, injuries, drops, penalties, you know, just BS calls, BS plays. And we didn't even talk about the terrible Raheem Mostert spot on third and what, third and two? He was in for a first down, dude. That was such a first down. But we're at the end of the show. I don't even want to rant about that. I don't even want to go in about that. But overall, man, I know they lost. We're proud of these guys. So I'm proud of those boys. And they're going to come into Arizona, you know, hot-headed, ready to ball, man. I think they're just going to go out there and destroy Kyler. So... You know, great show, man. Sucks to lose, but it's fun to break down. You know, it's it's going to be sunny in San Francisco every day. So, you know, the sun will always shine. There's always hope. Just believe, man, one game at a time. Yes, sir, man. That, that Raheem Mostert spot, that's going to be one of those calls that's like that Trent Taylor call a couple of years back against the Rams on, I believe it was uh, either Thursday Night Football or Monday Night Football. Man, just that horrible call that's just going to stick with you like that Ahmad Brooks, Drew Brees, uh, rough in the passer call. It's just one of those that you just, you know, you hate to see it come down to the referees because they are so incompetent. You can never count on them to make the right call. They reviewed it. Uh, I'm, we're not getting into it. We're not getting into it. I'm just going to get angry again. It's already late at night. I'm just going to be upset all night. Um Thank you guys again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Like I said, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can meet up with you guys soon. We'll go over, we'll meet with you guys again before um, we see the um, Cardinals this weekend. So tweet us your questions, tweet us your concerns, whatever you want at RGS pod at Perry underscore 49ers at Zach Hernan. And uh, we'll get to you guys. Thank you again for listening. Everybody have a good one.